So there's just been more and more just a real wonderful fresh breeze of the Holy Spirit in the meetings. And um, if you haven't been, come to the prayer meeting Saturday morning and you'll experience just um, a tremendous wave of God's presence, tremendous a strong presence of God here on the Saturday mornings in prayer meetings. And there's just something fresh happening. It's just something powerful. In the last months, we've seen an increase in miracles. And uh, Norman's sitting there, and he's one of them. And God's just doing unusual things. Yesterday morning in the prayer meeting, I just felt that we should put anointing oil on everyone's hands. So I put a little bit on, and everyone rubbed it. And so what I normally encourage them to do, sometimes it's good to do a practical thing to demonstrate something. So I said, everybody rub your hands, because then it warms up the oil, and then the fragrances within and released. And then it just fills the whole place with the fragrance of the anointing. It's really powerful. And so in the process, you rub the oil in and everything like this. And the prayer team walks around, and they lay hands on everything. So that's why there's oil marks on the piano, and there's oil marks on the drums, and there's oil marks all over the pulpit. And then I try to dissuade them, but then there's even oil marks on the blackboard. So there's just oil everywhere. It's amazing how transferable the anointing is, isn't it? But I was just so blessed yesterday morning. Lee came to show me. He said, you know, God's doing amazing miracles. And he went up to the cross, and he laid hands on the cross, and he just stood there praying, and he came and showed me. And when he came back to me, there was so much oil on his hands. It was just like a supernatural sign. The oil, the anointing oil, just increased in the the prayer meeting time. You know, we've had it at times. Yeah, everybody say, wow, say amen. Say, I'm up for that. I want that to happen. One Sunday morning, God was moving phenomenally, and several ladies came running out of the mother's room, and they showed me, and we hadn't done any anointing of oil or anything like that. They came out, and supernaturally, oil, anointing oil was running, literally dripping off their hands. They stood there, and they came, and they said, look at this, and the oil was running off their hands and dripping off the ends of their fingers. Supernatural signs of God's presence. Amen. And I was with Prophet Corbus in Ireland, and he'll be preaching, and he have his Bible. And, um, you know, while he was preaching, he would say, right, turn to this scripture. And it was amazing that he would uh, say, turn to the scripture, to have his Bible. And he would open his Bible like this, and you could not read the print for the gold that was on the print. And inside here, they were literally was a huge amount of gold flakes, gold dust. And so he would say, who wants to see this? And then people would run forward, and he would pour it out like this, and literally the gold flakes, the gold dust would run out, and he would shake his Bible. Then he would do this. He would do this. He would turn the Bible upside down, fan the pages, shake it to make sure that there was nothing in there, so people wouldn't think that he's hidden stuff. Then he would carry on preaching. Then he would say, right, turn to the scripture. And remember, now I'm right by him like where Andre is, because we were preaching together. He opens his Bible to that page, and it's covered in gold dust, covered in gold. And then, I don't know why I'm telling you these things, but I'm I'm having fun. Is that okay? And it'd be just literally, pour the gold, and it would just literally pour out of the Bible. And I mean, people were getting zapped, getting touched, getting blessed. Then he would do this. And then he would carry on preaching and he would say, turn to, and then he would open the page of the Bible and there would be full of gold. Okay, anyway, I don't know about you, but those kind of things bless me. Amen. It's when God moves and God does sovereign things. And so 
I really struggled. I was praying about the message Friday. I was praying about it Saturday. I was praying about it here Saturday morning in the prayer meeting. I sat here with my back against the stage, and I said, thank you, Jesus. You're going to give me the word for the next few weeks. Hallelujah. I receive it. And uh, I just received it just in a kernel idea, 11 o'clock last night. So Jesus, now, like, like what is the matter with your timing, Lord? Jesus, 11 o'clock. You know, now I've got to go to bed, you know, because I want to sleep now. So at 20 past four, I was wide awake and I said, okay, Lord, are you going to give me the rest of the message? You know, so I'm just telling you this to let you know, if it's fraught, it's the Lord's fault. Because <laughs> he had the whole day to give it to me, you know. So I don't have another message. So enjoy this one. Amen. But I wanted to just share with you that there's something fresh. Can I tell you, whenever God does something fresh in a church, it's because something fresh is happening in your hearts. It begins with the heart. Your heart is the central part of your being. There's many scriptures that refer to, and I don't want to go into a teaching on the heart because it's actually quite complicated. Because sometimes it refers to your spirit, another time to your soul, another time to your mind, another time to your heart. And, you know, all I know is that you're a pretty complex bunch of people. Me, I'm simple, you know. You know, I'm uncomplicated. But you guys, oh my word. But it's, you know, just like the physical heart, there is still also a parallel. The physical heart is so vital to our existence that your spiritual heart, the spiritual organ of the heart, is also extremely important to your spiritual life, your vitality. That's why Paul says in Romans 10, 9, and 10, you believe with your heart. With the heart you believe. With the mouth you confess unto salvation. Amen? And so the heart becomes represented of your entire inner being. Okay? And so Ephesians 3, 17 talks about it where, where Paul talks about praying for us to get a revelation. So he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So we know then somehow the heart is synonymous with your spirit. Is that okay? And it somehow overlaps into the mind. You know, your brain has got several million or millions of neurons, but your heart has also got hundreds of thousands of neurons in it. And those that study human beings say this, that whenever your brain, because your brain is a computer, whenever your brain receives information, it processes through those neurons, but it doesn't make a decision. It's just processing the information. It refers the decision to your heart, and those hundreds of thousands of neurons work through it, and they come to a moral decision if you're a Christian. It processes the information, so it's with the heart that you believe, not with the mind so much. Does that make sense? So I don't want to go into too much of that, but the heart then becomes important. So we talk about somebody coming to Jesus, and we refer to it as they've given their hearts to the Lord. Is that okay? And so it's that inner part that we've given over to Jesus, and we invite him in. Now, one of the things that I've discovered over the years, just as easily as you give your heart to Jesus, it's easy to take it back. So you meet somebody, you like them, and you give your heart to them. And then they stamp on it. Then you take it back, and it's very hurt. You take your heart away from them, don't you? Yeah, it's like, I'm not going to do that again because you trod on my heart. You hurt me, so I'm taking my heart back. And you know what it feels like inside of us? It feels like you've built a dirty, great, big wall there. 
you know, and uh, they can't see in and you can't see out. Every now and then you peer over the top and you just duck down behind that safe zone because you've put up a wall around your heart to prevent hurt. And one of the things for me that has come out over the COVID period is that I've noticed, not in you, you're here, okay? Turn to the person next to you and say, Pastor John is not preaching to you, you're here. One of the things that I've noticed over COVID is that there are some where there's been a serious disconnect from God. There's been a disconnect from church. It is convenient for us now to watch you on live stream. What does that refer to? What does it speak of? It speaks of a disconnect. I know some people are physically not able to be here, but there are others, their hearts are not to be here. And so the heart becomes really, really, really an important organ, spiritual organ, as far as our walk is concerned. Jesus said this in Matthew 15, verses 18 to 19. Not these people, but those other people. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are mere human rules. So it's important for us to keep our hearts from drifting from Jesus and drifting into a disconnect. Is that okay? So we're going to talk about it maybe over the next couple of weeks. We'll just examine it more and more. And maybe in the process, God would be doing a little bit of heart surgery on us. Just prodding the heart a little bit, testing the heart, you know, and uh, asking us questions about our hearts. But, you know, other than that, he might be going, your heart is good. So I want to just talk very much about our hearts. Peter refers to it in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 4, as the hidden man of the heart. The hidden man of the heart. So the hidden man of the heart means the real you is your heart. Your heart is the real you. So the heart is what you are. In the secrecy of your thoughts and feelings, when no one knows but God and what you are at the invisible root, in that invisible place, matters as much to God as what you are visibly. So much so that when the prophet Samuel was called to go and look for a king, 1 Samuel 16 verse 7, after looking at the outer, at looking at the stature of the brothers of David, saying, surely the king stands before me, surely this is the one, God rejected them all. And until there was no one standing in front of him, and you know the story that Jesse called the youngest son who was tending the sheep, and God says this to the prophet, and he says, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You know, it doesn't matter what face we put on or what good attitude we put on, God is able to look right past all of that, and he sees our hearts. And you know, and that's sometimes a really awesome thing. You know, positively, I think it's brilliant because sometimes God does something for us. And, you know, there have been many times in my life where God's done something phenomenal for me. And I go, oh, Lord, thank you, thank you. I don't know how many laps I've done in this church over the years that I've been the pastor. And just walk around going, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. And then afterwards I say, Lord, I know you're sick and tired of me hearing me say this. And I say this. I say, read my heart. Read my heart, read my heart, because there's more in there than I can express with my mouth. Amen? And it's a good thing that God can read our hearts. Amen? I mean, there's times when you're overwhelmed, when you're anxious, when you're tired, whatever it is, and you cannot articulate a prayer. 
When you can't, you know, it's just God. Oh, God, help me. How do I express the depth of, you know, whatever that I, despair that I'm in and, and then articulate properly the prayer that I need. But, you know, a dying sinner can just say, oh, God. And God is able to see the heart and save him. Amen. And when someone is just destitute and they just cried, God, and God just steps in and does something. It's because God doesn't just look at the outer. God doesn't listen to our voice. God is able to read our hearts. Amen. And so God very much relates to us, but he relates to our, our hearts. Is that okay? And we'll see now why in a moment. Are you with me so far? Okay. All right. So the heart becomes really, really important. Matthew 15, verses 18 to 29, Jesus said this, But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the? From the? But what comes out of your mouth comes from the? Oh, you're not convinced. You're not convinced. You're either not convinced or you maybe feel guilty. But don't feel guilty. We're just reading the scripture. The things that come out of your mouth come from your heart, from that inner place. And Jesus said, this is what defiles us. Because remember, the Pharisees were saying, you know, you're eating with unwashed hands and all of this kind of thing. And, and Jesus says, it's not what goes into your mouth. It's what comes out of your mouth. For out of the heart, out of the heart, and that's why it includes your mind, he says, comes evil thoughts. Out of the heart comes murders. Out of the heart comes adulteries. Out of the heart comes fornication. Out of the heart comes thefts. Out of the heart comes false witness. Out of the heart, blasphemies. It was really cute. Uh, Ian and um, Shireen had a late night last night because it was Joshua's 21st. And they had a, like a little quiz. They divided people into teams, and they developed this little app for it. And uh, how well do you know Joshua? And they would ask the question. And so one of the questions was concerning Joshua, that often when he would be confronted by either Ian or Shireen when he had done something wrong, and they gave you four options, and the correct option was this. So whenever he did something wrong and they asked him why he did it, he said, my brain made me do it. <laughs> okay. And so he was very close biblically. Is that all right? At least he didn't say the devil made me do it. Because I don't know if you notice, but it's completely absent from these scriptures. Amen. And so it comes from within. It comes from our hearts. And then we go on into Matthew chapter 12. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. Wow, that's awesome. So that's Matthew 12, 33 to 35. You brood of vipers, Jesus said. Yowza. Yowza. Now, he's not talking to you. He was talking to the scribes and to the Pharisees. In other words, what he was saying is, you are children of the devil. Because remember, he was referred to as a serpent in the Garden of Eden. And so what he was saying to them was, you are children of that one. You're a brood of little snakes. Well, that's pretty rough, eh? It says, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? Now, notice he didn't say do. He said say. The first indication is the mouth. What comes out of your mouth 
is an indication of your heart. So what comes out of your mouth is a sure indication of your heart. You know, on, on engines, especially the older ones, on the new ones, it's all electronic. On the older engines, you had something called the dipstick. And you would check oil levels, you know. And uh, so you pull out the dipstick and you check the oil level. And your tongue and your mouth is the dipstick of your heart. Hey, now. Hey, now. But I want you to know it's the Baptist church, the NH church, the Catholic church that I'm talking about. I'm not talking about ACF. And I, all you are just incredibly holy. That's why God sent me here to be your pastor. Because you're so awesome. I've got the best church in the whole world, I'm telling you. And so it's just incredible that Jesus says that. He said, how can you say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. So where is it stored up? In the heart. So the heart is utterly crucial to Jesus. It's vitally important and to you. What we are in the deep private recesses of our life is what he cares about the most. The things that we bury in there, the things that we tuck away, the things that we hide, the things that we don't even realize are there. Sometimes, you know, there's many, many of us, you know, probably all of us have experienced at some time in our lives something extremely painful. And I had it this week, just chatting with someone, and um, this person was just saying to me, an incident happened, and it just surfaced a lot of pain from the childhood. And this person was saying, up until now, it was like flipping through a magazine. I thought it was such an apt description. It was like I could turn the pages and look at the pictures, referring to the memories of the childhood, and it would not affect me. But something happened And it just reconnected me to all of the hurt and the pain of my childhood. And it absolutely shook me. You know, there's times when we've gone through process and Christian sanctification and God has done so much healing in our lives. And we kind of think it's dealt with. You know, I'm okay with this. I've worked through this. And sometimes an incident that is just strongly familiar can surface the same feelings as long ago. And you know, even that, in a positive way, God is interested in, because he knows it's there, and he wants to heal it, properly heal it. Not so that it's buried into the subconscious, but he allows things to come to bring it up into the conscious mind and the conscious experience to deal with it again. Amen? To complete our healing. So God is... Positively, and, and if I put it that way, he's not negative. But, but on both sides of the coin, God is extremely, extremely interested in our hearts. And so we need to understand that Jesus didn't come into the world simply because we have some bad habits that need to be broken. He came into the world because we've got dirty hearts, broken hearts that need to be purified. So Jeremiah says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Only God can know it. 
So that's Jeremiah 17, verse 9, King James translation. The heart is desperately wicked. There have been occasions in my life where I've given myself to prayer because I sometimes catch myself doing things with a motive. Oh, shock horror. Pastor John. Now, I know you're so holy. That's why God sent me here, so I can become more like you. You know, so that you can influence me. But, you know, there's sometimes that you can catch yourself, not highly, highly wicked, but you know what I'm saying? You're doing something, and you realize this is more about me than this person. And it's because of our own woundedness and our own pain. Come on, church. This is not supposed to be an inner healing seminar. It's supposed to be about revival. Is that okay? Is that okay? If there's some inner healing happening, thank you, Jesus, because we need it. Amen. The hidden man of the heart needs help from time to time. But sometimes you catch yourself with a motive and you go like, why am I doing this? Because this is more about me than it's about, you know, about that person or, you know, the situation. I stand to get something out. I'm not being as selfless as what I'm making out to be. Okay, everybody close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. If that's you, raise your hand. Okay, (laughs) never never mind, never mind. But sometimes we find these things happening inside of us, and uh, Jeremiah says the heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? And our hearts can deceive us because of a thing called motive. But we'll unpack it a little bit more over the next few weeks. So we need to be keeping our hearts. Hence the theme, guard your heart. Look at the person next to you and say, guard your heart. Guard your heart. So Solomon was the wisest man in the whole world, okay? Up until Jesus. But Solomon was exceptionally wise. He prayed for wisdom. God gave him wisdom. He writes the book of Proverbs to his son. Over and over again, my son, my son. But you could easily substitute Solomon for God and put yourself in the place of the son. And so he says this in Proverbs 4 and verses 18 to 23. If you follow me, I think it is the NIV. He says, the path of the righteous Okay, uh, this is good news now. Now you can smile and say amen up until a point. All right. Okay, so the path of righteous. So that's your path. It indicates your life, your future, what is ahead of you. He says, the path of the righteous is like the morning sun shining ever brighter till the full light of day. Let's pause and see, Lord, they hold that verse there. Let's just pause, just pause. Just have a look at that. The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. That's God's intention for your life. From the time you got born again, the sun started to rise. Peter tells us that the Old Testament scriptures were the prophetic word like a light shining in the darkness, like a candle, which we need to pay careful attention to until the morning star rises in our hearts. In other words, till we get the sun, till we get Jesus into our hearts, and then as the day is going, the sun is rising higher and higher until it reaches its zenith at midday in the full brightness of day. And this is exactly what Solomon is saying, that your spiritual life should be like that when you accept Jesus. The sun is risen, and you're living out in the light until he shines fully and brightly in and through our lives. Is that okay? But he gets to the point, just like Peter does, that it all goes about our hearts. He says, but the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. 
They do not know what makes them stumble. The implication is, is that because we are walking in the light, we know or should know what makes us stumble. Why do we stumble at times? Why do we falter? Why do we sometimes disconnect? Going back to my earlier words, why do we sometimes, you know, with the Lord and with others, why do we sometimes take our heart back? Why do we take it back? Why do we take it away? And so he says, my son, pay careful attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them where? Keep them. What must you keep in your heart? His words. His teachings we must keep in our hearts. The same place, the same place that evil issues from is the same place that we need to bury the word. Because the word buried there will transform our hearts and make our hearts good. Then what comes out of our mouths will be his word, his principles and his precepts. Amen. Indicating that the good word of God has found good soil in our hearts and has taken root. Is it all too much? No. Okay. You have to listen because I prepared it early this morning. You got to. Just out of empathy for me. Pastor John, while I was still sleeping, you were putting this amazing message together. Wow. Thank you, Pastor John. Thank you. All right. Keep them within your hearts. And he says, for there are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. I mean, you know, there's sermons in you. There's sermons in you. You know, because the Bible tells us to set a guard over our mouths as well. And it tells us that the fruit of our lips is life. You know, we eat by what we come and we live by what we eat, you know, what we speak. Is that right? And so he says, if that's the case, then his word is life to my whole body. Woo! Isn't it amazing that you can affect your body by what you speak? Because it comes out of what you believe in your heart. Anyway, so that's not the message. So there are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Now listen to this. I'm thinking it's verse 22. Above all else. Above all else. Guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life. Above all else. God, keep, tend, nurture, protect, cultivate your heart because it is the wellspring of your life. In other words, everything in your life issues from your heart. Are you all following me, church? Hmm. Above all else, God. See, it tells me that the heart is susceptible. The heart is vulnerable. It tells me that my heart is accessible to things. And I have to put a guard over my heart. But not only that, I have got to watch over what takes root in my heart. God is not responsible for your heart. Your wife, your husband is not responsible. I am not responsible for your heart. You are solely in charge of your heart. And so God puts through Solomon the responsibility squarely back on our shoulders. 
And it tells us to guard our hearts because it is the wellspring from it issues everything concerning our lives. You are what you are because of what is in your heart. I'm going to say it again. You are what you are and who you are because of what is in your heart. Same, same true with me. Keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths of your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. So as I was studying... I just did a little entry and I discovered this. A pastor's wife wrote this. Listen to what she says. It really much reflects my own attitude. Repeatedly linked on the pages of my journal for the past 10 months are the words, keep a soft heart. In reality, it's taken all the 36 years of my life to develop a one-sentence prayer that expresses one of my deepest And most regular needs. Keep a soft heart. I searched for the words to express it in my teens. Scrambled to articulate it in my 20s. And now, in my mid-30s, I'm finally learning to name the need that stretches its way out of my chest with my first conscious breath every morning. In the lifelong march against bitterness, cynicism, unforgiveness... It's my anthem now. Keep a soft heart. Against the old dead version of me who tries to resurrect herself with frightening force and regularity, the petition for a soft heart has become a steady daily battle cry. Keep a soft heart. You know what I mean, right? That prickly, closed-up version of your inner being so full of rough angles and hard edges that you refuse to let anyone inside. Refuse to obey what you know the Lord is calling you to do. Refuse to open yourself up to anything that might make you uncomfortable. You know what I'm talking about? Yes? It's the heart that gives a cold shoulder to all that is meaningful in the Christian life, that shuts down to all that warms the soul that resists the unifying thread that knits us together with other believers. It's seasonal, or perhaps it's a coping mechanism. But at its core, it's destructive. While it might seem temporarily safe to wall oneself away from vulnerability within the church or from God before Him, I've learned lately that what aids me best in my relationships with God and other believers, what helps me more readily submit to the desires of Jesus and his plans for my life, what most encourages me to lay aside my rigid, Pharisaic worldview is this, a soft heart. You know, King David said this, Psalm 86 verse 11, teach me your way, Lord that I may rely on your faithfulness. Now listen to what he says. Give me an undivided heart. The King James says this. 
Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. In other words, that my heart is not fragmented. My heart is not divided. Jesus used other words when he talked about the eye. The eye is the lamp of the whole body. Is that right? And he says, if your eye is not single, in other words, if you don't have unison of vision, in other words, if you got your eye on two things, in other words, what he was saying is God and mammon, you know, money and the pleasures of this world. So in other words, basically what he was saying is if you squint and you're trying to focus on the world but on God, he says there's darkness in your heart. He says because you cannot serve both God and mammon. So your eye needs to be single. Your vision needs to be a single vision, a focused vision. David says, God, give me an undivided heart because he started to understand what would fracture his heart. I'm sure that there were times, and the one time, something that did fracture his heart when he numbered his fighting men because it was like, wow, how awesome I am and what a powerful army I've got. And of course, the curse came on him. And I'm sure the wealth must have also tempted him as well as the string of successes and things like this, you know. And there was a strong temptation. So David says, God, just give me an undivided heart. I want my heart focused on you. Is that okay? You see, it's good to have all of those things. And you can have them all as long as your heart is not divided, as long as our heart is single for God. We can have everything. Amen? As long as we don't let those things have us or have our hearts. What is an idol? It's something that takes your heart and possesses it when it should belong to God. So it can be anything that can be an idol. Is that okay? So now I'm not bashing you. I want you to understand. I'm not bashing you. I'm saying that there's something of a heart change that is taking place. And I'm maybe through teaching on it, just helping you just to get into touch with the fact that maybe there's a new softness in your heart. Maybe there's a new tenderness. Maybe there's a new, a new love for Jesus a new sense of his presence that you're appreciating. So I'm teaching on one side and presenting it like almost in the negative one side to show what's transpiring in the positive and encouraging us to keep doing that. Amen? Because revival, can I tell you, putting it into the words of the sermon this morning, revival really is a soft heart towards God and people. Amen? It's a heart that's not fractured and divided. It's completely focused and devoted on him. And so David says, Lord, give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name so that I can be totally, totally committed to you. I don't know about you, but that features regularly in my prayers. Amen. I want to stay on fire for God. I don't want to get old and cranky and cynical and I've been in the ministry so many years and you know, Christian people and and you know, all this kind of thing. You know, I want to stay excited about Jesus, you know. And I am, I am, I am. I tell you, I couldn't find a sermon, so I thought maybe I'll find it somewhere. In a, so I watched one of A.A. Allen's um, healing crusades. Oh, Jesus, man, I just got so excited. I sat there, my arms folded, tears in my eyes. I switched the video off, and I just said, Jesus, I'm going to see miracles like it. I'm going to see miracles like that. Amen? I'm not looking to retire. I'm looking to refire. I'm more excited about Jesus now than when I was 30 years old. You know, and I'm 35 now. You know, it's just, that came out of my heart. I lied. Lies are from the heart. All right. <laughs> I thought I'd say it before you think it. Okay. But I'm more excited about Jesus now. I'm more excited to see revival. I'm more excited to see miracles than I ever have. 
you know, and we've seen phenomenal miracles, Amen. just like amazing miracles. But I'm going like, Jesus, there's got to be more. I want to see metal disappear out of people's bodies. You know, I want to see, you know, limbs grow. And, you know, an eye that's completely destroyed gets sight again. Yes. Amen. I want to see it. We had a guy in this church who got healed, couldn't hear. And right in the middle of revival, and God healed him. And just not that long ago, he went to, I mean, he could hear perfectly, perfectly. I mean, I was shocked. I was surprised. I was blessed. I mean, we laid hands on him somewhere over here. Wow, he hit the floor. He didn't like all the laughing and hunting on and rolling in church and all that kind of thing. And they actually came to say, we're leaving the church, you know. And in the, that evening, after, when we finished preaching, he was the first one up here. And when we laid hands on him, he hit the floor, and he was the noisiest person ever in the whole revival. He was rolling, laughing, shaking, crying. When he stood up there, he was completely healed. He was 32 years old. He couldn't hear. When he woke up the next morning, could hear his baby crying, could hear the birds singing, could hear, phone me 6 o'clock in the morning screaming, wow, I can hear, I can hear, Jesus, hear my... He was running, jumping over the double bed like it was him and his wife, wow. His father, who was an alcoholic, phoned me from Nalspret, gave his heart to the Lord on the phone because of the son's miracle. Set free of alcoholism. Amen. And then, and then a few years ago, he's immigrated. He's living in England, and he's working with plasterboard and things like that, you know, ceiling board. And then he's battling to you, and he goes to the ear specialist, and the ear specialist cleans his ears out, and they're conversing and all this kind of thing, and he said, you can hear me, right? So he goes, no, of course I can hear you. He said, no, I know you can hear me because we're having a conversation, and when I test your ears, you hear perfectly. But he said, but I don't understand it. So he says, why don't you understand it? He says, because in neither ear have you got an eardrum whatsoever. Nothing. But you hear. That was now a few years ago. I got, come on, say Amen. I mean, you know, so me, I'm excited by those. I, tell, I remind myself of those, and I bless myself. I'm like J.D., mm -hmm. I just start getting gooses, you know. And I bless myself, and I go, Jesus, we're going to see more. Amen. But the big thing, come on, church, we need to guard our hearts. Amen. We need to maintain a soft heart towards God. Hallelujah. So a soft heart for God. Why a soft heart? Why not a determined heart, a focused heart, a resolute heart? Why a soft heart? Well, a soft heart, by you know, the implication of its name, means it's soft. It's moldable, malleable. A heart that is workable, like putty in the hands of Jesus. A heart that is not resistant. A heart that is not hard. Not a doormat heart, but a teachable, empathetic let me walk a mile in your shoes kind of heart. We talk about taking up our cross and following Jesus. And if we talk about that, it's only a soft heart that can do that. Because it's a kind of heart that would be moldable and allow us to die to ourselves and more particularly to die to our pride. So I just want to talk about a soft heart can receive correction. It won't freeze up or bristle at correction. A soft heart is the first thing you notice in that believer who receives correction with a nodding head and quiet acceptance without self-justification. You're right. I'm sorry. That's a soft heart. A 
Soft heart is when you see it in someone else, you find yourself instantly warm towards them because it is so much like Jesus, who himself was obedient to the point of death and who laid aside his desires, his own desires for his fathers. Secondly, a soft heart is not easily offended. Look at the person next to you saying, now Pastor John's talking to you. The soft heart is not easily offended. It's not easily offended. It's amazing to me. Christians, you know, it happens out in the world, but I don't know, it just seems Christians are just the worst. Offended. 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 You didn't greet me this morning. You didn't smile at me. You didn't. You said this. You did this. So what? So what? Imagine if Jesus got offended like you get offended. You wouldn't be forgiven. You'd be in hell. Serious. Serious. He gave you mercy. Soft heart is not easily offended. It's quick to understand from the other person's side. Quick to forgive. The spiritual lifeblood of a soft heart beats with disarming vulnerability. It's soft. It's vulnerable. Amen. Okay, I know I'm talking to you now. A soft heart is a heart of love. Woo! You can't love out of a hard heart. You can't love out of a broken heart. You can't. Because your love will be limited. It will be fractured. It will be conditional. It will certainly not be the love of God. Is that okay? And so, a soft heart is a heart of love. It holds staunchly to truth while it also clings tightly to love. So it is able to speak the truth in love. Is that okay? And then you can go and read 1 Corinthians 13 for yourself. The key in holding the tension between truth and love is a soft heart. If it speaks, it will speak lovingly. All things it does comes from the pure motive of love. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 14, Paul says, do everything in love. If you have a soft heart, you can do that. Fourth, A soft heart is then also a truthful heart. A soft heart knows its place. A soft heart understands true humility. A soft heart knows who it is before God, knows that it itself is dust, knows that it itself is equally guilty of all the things it wants to keep record of in others. So listen, the soft heart knows that it itself is guilty of everything that it wants to judge in others. And therefore, it won't judge. Are you good? The soft heart knows if it kept an honest record of its own wrongs, it could not judge others. And that it wouldn't be standing if it wasn't for the blood, the forgiveness of Jesus. Fifth, a soft heart is a yielded heart in all our relationships, family, church, and the world. All of those fruit brag of the priority of Jesus in our lives and the priority that his will is when our plans threaten to veer wildly off the rails. And then sixthly, lastly, a soft heart is a first response heart. First response. What is your first response? You know, a person with a soft heart will not get offended because the first response will be to try and understand and to forgive. Soft heart is a first response heart because when it's criticized, it doesn't hit back. It's a non-striking heart. A soft heart 
Soft heart is a first responding heart because when hope is deferred, when that thing which I'm believing for, that thing which I'm standing for, that thing that I'm claiming, that thing which is in my vision is deferred, it doesn't get upset with God and begin to blame God. Well, I tried it and God didn't come through for me. A man once said that to me about something or the other, and he said, where is God? Where was God when all that happened? So I said, that's not the main question. The main question is, where are you with God? Where were you with God when it happened? Where were, it's easy to blame God now. But where were you? And where are you now? What is the condition of your heart? To hope deferred. The first response should be an acknowledgement that Jesus is the Lord of my life, and he commands my destiny. And we could go on and on and on. Soft heart is a first response heart. Okay? So how do we keep our heart soft? I've got two minutes, and it's very easy. Three things. Three things. I saw it yesterday morning again when we assembled. There was about 20 of us, just I think 19 of us, and we were just praying. And the fervency of prayer just blessed me. The fervency of prayer carried me. The intensity of the prayer. And, and as we, I was walking around praying, and, and everybody there was walking around praying, I mean, some people had tears. Some people you could just see were just really engaging with the Lord. And I realized the transformative power of prayer again yesterday. You cannot spend time, even if you're praying for others and not praying for yourself, but you cannot not be changed if you have a prayer life. Because you're getting into his presence. You're functioning in a priestly function. You can't help but be changed in his presence. Amen? But of course, personal transformation and personal prayer are completely connected. Let me put it in other words. Prayer and your sanctification are interwoven. They're part of each other. And yes, we should be praying for ourselves. If we walk in the light, like Solomon says, we see what makes us stumble. Well, if we see what makes us stumble and realize I'm stumbling, we have got recourse into the closet, into the prayer room, and to go and get before God and say, God, why am I stumbling? Why am I doing this? Why is this a repetitious thing in my life? Why am I facing this thing again? God, I want a soft heart. I don't want anything in me to cause me to stumble. Look, it's not the people outside of you that make you stumble. They can't. It's the things in you. Your brain makes you do it, okay? All right? It's the things in us that causes us to stumble. John says it. If we walk in the light as he's in the light, his blood is continuously cleansing. Is this too intense for us? No, no, because I'm complimenting you. I'm saying there's a fresh breeze. Something is happening in your hearts. Amen? So what I'm doing is I'm encouraging you. Let's just keep going. Come on, let's give ourselves more into prayer. I said it a few months ago. How much do you pray for yourself? How much do you pray for your own transformation, your own sanctification? How much do you pray? Because listen, unless you're really out of touch with yourself, you know that there's stuff that needs change. Is that okay? Unless you are so disconnected from yourself that you think that, you know, it's God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and you're just above God. But I mean, we know. We know our trigger points. We know I'm going through this again. We know I'm being oversensitive. We know 
You know, why am I short and ratty? And, and why have I got people at arm's length again? What trigger caused me to put up the defenses around my wall? What is that? That's the opposite of a soft heart. So prayer. Second thing is the word. Because of time, I won't give you all the verses. But the second is scriptures. You know, the Bible is at the same time a telescope where we can get God into focus. And we see the wonders of his being, who he is. I mean, it's magnificent. But at the same time, it's a mirror. Well, when I read there and I see him, it's like, this is what I'm not. This area is what I'm not. And so I have the ability to adjust myself according to the word. James tells us that, you know, the perfect law of liberty, we look into it, you know, if we see our natural selves, we walk away and forget. But if we see our true selves, we are transformed into the image of Jesus. Amen? And so that word, the word is so amazing. It's so incredible. And maybe for homework, you can read Ephesians 4, 22 to 27. And you see the possibility of the word, the potential of the word, the power of the word to transform you. You can read it. You can pray those scriptures. Whatever, you can do it. It's amazing. I like what John Piper says. John Piper writes, um, I think he's got a site called Desiring Great Bible Teacher. He says this. Are you all ready to listen to this? Nearly finished. If we are ever to grasp the gospel, we must fully grasp the ugliness of our sin. If we never admit that we don't just do bad things, but that we are bad, the gospel will never land in power in our lives. Our sins will always be healed lightly. I need to crawl into the cesspool of my heart and claw my way to the bottom, the very bottom of my heart, believing that right down there is the blood of Jesus. Not hell, but the blood of Jesus. It's at the bottom of our sin, not only a little way down, it's all the way through. The last point is to look to Jesus. And Jesus, Paul says this, he says, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And so to look to Jesus, yes, what would Jesus do? Yes, what is Jesus like? Let's look to Jesus. Paul says in Hebrews, you know, we see this new man in Christ, that's us, everything subject unto him, even angels under his feet. But he says, but if we look in reality, that's not true yet. He says, but we don't keep our focus there, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We look to Jesus, who is exalted at the right hand. So we have a look and say, that's me. That is my destination. Amen? Amen. And so we need to have a look at Jesus. There are times when we need to look at ourselves. Robert Murray McShane, great preacher from the 19th century, said this, for every look at self, take 10 looks at Jesus. Let the time spent looking at Christ far outweigh the time spent navel-gazing internally. When we believe the gospel and repent of our sins, the Lord gives us a new heart that beats for him. Our prayer to keep that heart soft is not an attempt to add to his work, but simply to echo what he's already purposed to do for those of us who believe. And so, church, in closing, 
1 Thessalonians, Paul's prayer. I pray for all of us, verse 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your spirit and soul, your heart and your body be kept sound and blameless for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and he will also do it. Isn't that awesome? And so I want to encourage you, church. There's just a, just a sense of freshness in the church. For me, it feels like we're really truly exiting COVID and getting back to just to that vitality of spiritual life. And it's coming in waves, but I want it constantly. Amen? And so let's just guard our hearts and keep a soft heart towards God. You know, a soft heart wants to be in his presence and to pray. A soft heart wants to read his word. A soft heart wants to be in fellowship and all of the other things. Amen. Just put your hands over sort of your chest area representing your heart with me. And, you know, if that's your desire and just pray with me. I don't know about you, but I want an undivided heart. Amen. I want a, want a heart that's focused, a heart that's soft for the Lord, soft, malleable, moldable, like putty in the hands of God, heart that God can just work with, that God can just touch. So I want you just to maybe just pray and say, Lord, if this word touched you in any way, in any area, I just want you to pray a little bit and say, Lord, would you just touch my heart? Give me a new heart. Give me a pure heart. Give me a soft heart. Help me, Lord, to guard my heart. Father, I pray that you would just lead me by your Holy Spirit. I give you permission, Holy Spirit, just to point out, to point to, to indicate, to highlight, just to remind, Lord, of areas that are just needing transformation Lord if there's any area of my heart that is still unevangelized that I have not surrendered to you that I've not given to you Father would you just highlight it by your spirit show me Lord I want to give you my heart I want to give all of my heart to you Lord, I want the fresh breeze of heaven. I want the wind of the Holy Spirit to be able to course through my heart unchecked, not bridled, not halted in any way, to reach out and to just touch and bless others. Father, I pray it in the wonderful name of the Lord Jesus. Did we all pray that prayer together? Just keep your hand there and say, Lord, I want a soft heart, a non-offended heart a first response heart, a forgiving heart, a kind heart. All of these things, Lord, we want. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, in any area where I've been hardened to become hard and cynical, God, would you just soften my heart? Lord, I know the areas that you're touching on, even through the sermon this morning. Lord, you just touched this area of my heart, and I just give it to you, Lord. Father, in the mighty and the wonderful name, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Soft hearts, new hearts. Hallelujah. Praying in the Holy Ghost transcends 
your natural praying because it's unlimited vocabulary. What I want you to do is just gently begin to pray for yourself in tongues, in the Spirit. Just keep your hand on your own heart area. Come on, there's a softening taking place. Lord, let all cynicism dissipate. Father, criticism, judgmentalism, doubt. Come on, this will be a something that the Holy Spirit will commit himself to in days and weeks ahead. It won't all transpire now, but I want us to give the Lord a good start. Come on, we need to mean business with God, with things that are important. Solomon said, above all else, guard your hearts, above all else. God, would you do a deep work in us? Father, I thank you. Give us soft hearts that are hearts of love, that will weep for others, that will weep in your presence because of your presence. Father, that will just weep for the lost. Give us soft hearts, Father, in the name of Jesus. This week, Lord, we'll be more vigilant to guard our hearts against any enemy of a soft heart, anything that would come to rob us of the tenderness of our hearts. Father, in the wonderful name of Jesus, we all agreed and said, Amen, Amen. So the Lord blessed you this week. I commit you to the Lord and to His grace. I commit you all to the working of the Holy Spirit, the inner workings of the Spirit right on the inside of you. As we give Him permission this morning, the Holy Spirit will just begin to work, to remind, to point out, to prod. And you know, sometimes it will even come through others. But I commit you to this Word. I bond this Word to you this morning. That And now over the next few weeks, that the Holy Spirit will just be your teacher, your reminder just to bring it up to pass and to bring it into fulfillment, that the Lord would walk with you and um, develop that soft heart, that your heart would brag about all of the grace of God because of the transformation inside of you. In Jesus' name, bless you, bless you, bless you. Love you all.